0: From chapter, there's Revelation 19, reading from verses 11 to 21, and it can be found on page 1248 in the Church Bibles. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in mid-air, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh.
1: Turn back in your Bibles to page 1,248. Uh, 1,248. Uh, we're going to look at the second half of chapter 19 uh, and chapter 20 of Revelation today. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, help us to be those uh, who are keen to listen. Uh, Father, as we uh, think about as we come across challenging truths for us to live in the light of. Uh, Some of these truths will be uncomfortable for us, and yet you tell them to us so that uh, we would be prepared and able to live in the light of them. Father, forgive us when we've been dismissive about difficult things. Father, please give us humble hearts, we pray, uh, that as we hear these glorious promises, so we would learn to delight in them. For we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, uh, this uh, time uh, of Advent is an opportunity for us as Christians to uh, be preparing, thinking about how we live in the light of Jesus' coming. We, we quickly think of his first coming this time of year as we prepare for Christmas, but we're also to live in the light of his second coming. Uh, the Bible uh, teaches us, as Jesus himself taught, that he would return from heaven to judge the living and the dead, uh, that this present world will be dissolved to make way for a new heavens and a new earth. It is a glorious promise uh, of scripture and we're to live in the light of that return. Uh, one day, the evil that wrecks this world will be banished forever. Don't you long for that day? I hope that you do. And um, as we come through this, this fact, to please don't lose sight of the big, the big, Promise here one day, evil, all evil will be fully and finally destroyed, banished, judged forever, and that is a source of such comfort for us. This present world will not continue as it is doing forever. We have a glorious promise of future hope, and we're to live in the light of that. And we're to take it to heart. Uh, we, we began this series in Revelation, can you remember that, that, that great promise uh, right there in chapter one, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, this uh, present world isn't uh, gonna continue forever. Evil is not gonna win. We're not to fear that. We're also not to fear the judgment to come if we're a believer in Christ. Uh, we're uh, not to be afraid because... Jesus is in control and therefore we hold fast to that. Now Revelation is a difficult book for mo- us modern readers because it uses this symbolic language. This, uh, it's often unfamiliar to us but it, it does so to teach us truths about God and his world in a way that is, helps us to kind of grasp what is beyond our understanding. So we get odd phrases. Uh, we have two, uh, at least, in our passage today. We have the the second death and the first resurrection. Uh, well, both of those imply that there's a first death uh, and a second revela- a second resurrection. Now, um, trying to help us through this, I've uh, on the handouts you've been given, I've put there a, a table uh, of what I think those things mean, and we'll see why as we kind of go through. Uh, we're in this, uh, uh, this section within, uh, uh, within Revelation that we began last week when uh, we would have described for us what must take place for God to bring about his new creation. Uh, and last week if you were here we saw that judgment will come upon Babylon. That is society culture in rebellion against God. Today, we're going to see that that judgment doesn't just fall upon the world, but on the agents of Satan, uh, upon Satan himself, and indeed, uh, all the dead. We'll see that as we go through today. Uh, And those three three judgments uh, make this three obvious parts to consider. So, uh, firstly, uh, in verses chapter 19, verses 11 to 21, we have the judgment of the agents of Satan. Well, who are the agents of Satan? Um, well, they are the beast and the false prophets. Let me read verse 11. "I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And here we have a picture of the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, It's taking uh, language from earlier in Revelation. But now he's pictured as a conquering King at his second coming, he's he's riding on this white horse with a sharp sword in his mouth, which is the word of God, and with him we're told are the armies of heaven. Verse fifteen, coming to judge the world. So uh, halfway through verse fifteen, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we're told verse 19 that the the Lord Jesus has come against all the forces uh, of evil against Christ, the beast and the kings of the earth. Now uh, this scene here is the same scene that we've already seen In Revelation back in chapter 16 verse 10 it is Armageddon now uh, if you uh, were haven't been with us through our series in Revelation uh, I've said I've suggested that the beast uh, is an image taken from the book of Daniel Uh, and there uh, the beast represents kingdoms states in hostile opposition to God And the false prophets, well, that's the the, the second beast uh, back in uh, Revelation uh, 12, the the second beast who I said was the institutional religion that serves the beast. It's the beast lackey. Uh, He speaks uh, the words of Satan as commanded by the first beast. And here they've gathered to wage war against the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, as we, we saw, uh, previously there's uh, back in chapter 16 there's this there's this great lining up of, uh, of, of these armies and yet we can't miss the anticlimax of what happens the, the huge anticipation of this great battle what's gonna happen next and and if you're like me I, I in the back of my mind I've got a picture from the Lord of Rings uh, are, you, are you familiar with the, the, that thing There they're in the, the Twin Towers uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep and Gandalf the white Appears on his white stallion Shadowfax and with a great cry he leads the armies uh, uh, To destroy uh, all the evil forces of Mordor. Yeah, you know that that scene and this glorious battle takes place So in fact, I'm expecting this great contest, but what do we read verse 20? But the beast was captured <laughs> Uh, And with him, the false prophet who performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. It it seems that there's no great battle on the last day. There's no contest. Why? Because the the great victory's been won, hasn't it? The great victory when Christ died on the cross, that's the emphasis all the way through the book, that the Lamb has already won. The victory has been accomplished. So we're not so much looking here towards the last great battle. No, we're looking to the great battle that was won and lost by Jesus. Uh, Sorry, it was won by Jesus, lost by Satan when Jesus died on the cross. Now, uh, we've spent time in Revelation over these these months, and we've seen, haven't we, that, that the reality of evil in the world, the beast, is a fearsome thing. And we're not to underplay that. And the false prophet who serves the beast, they look invincible, opposing the church. God's people are being martyred at their hands. They seem unstoppable, yet on the last day, Christ will finally overcome them. Uh, Christ just says the word, the sword in his mouth, that stands for the word of God, and the beast and the false prophet are led into captivity, and verse 20, they are thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, along with verse 21, all who follow them. And there they will remain for eternity. Now, I sometimes ask the question, and it's a good question, you know, will, will heaven be ruined again? You know, like Eden was. You know, ever had that thought? And I think it's a good question to ask, isn't it? But here's, here's the answer uh, no, nothing will be able to spoil it or ruin it. Why? Because evil will be fully and finally banished under judgment. Well, yes, you might say, but the serpent was there. Well, look what happens to that ancient serpent in, in chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. Because the source of evil that stands behind the beast and the false prophets and work in our world today, well, that, that, that ancient serpent... Satan is judged too. Uh, Let me read from verse one of chapter 20. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having a key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more than... uh, Uh, anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now, I'm not exaggerating when I say that literally hundreds of books have been written around uh, these verses and what they mean. Uh, Particularly, uh, the reference to the thousand years. See, uh, John in verse two, he, he sees, an angel sees the dragon, that is Satan, and bind him for a thousand years. And during that thousand year period that was known as the millennium, uh, in verse four, we're told Christians come to life and they reign with Christ. And then verse seven, once a thousand years are over, Satan is released from his captivity. He deceives the world and he gathers its powers together for this final confrontation against God. And then we're told, Satan is destroyed and and of course the big question uh, being asked is when is this thousand-year period Okay, well on the handout you'll see on pages uh, four and three and four I've put down kind of a picture of the kind of four main views on this that are circulating uh, around uh, the present Now of course there are variations on these, but it helps us try to understand what different people mean when they talk about different views. Now um, I go along with uh, those commentators uh, who argue that the binding of Satan in chapter 20 verse two is a past event. In other words, it speaks not of what will happen at the second coming of Christ, but rather what has happened as a result of his first coming. Now uh, chapter, one, sorry, chapter 20 verse 1 begins with and, and I saw. Okay? And I think many people have wrongly assumed that that and there means that, that verses 1 to 6 must chronologically follow what has happened in chapter 19 and the events there. But that's not how Greek works, nor is it how apocalyptic literature works. We've seen this as we've been going through, uh, that uh, a vision that follows another doesn't mean that it chronologically follows that vision. Uh, And if it does, then we're in real bother because the the earth uh, in chapter 16 has already been dissolved. No, it can't mean that. No, Armageddon, In chapter 16 verse 10 is the same battle that we've just seen in uh, the end of chapter 19 and is described again in verse 7 uh, of chapter 20 Uh, when the thousand years are over Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to see deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth Gog and Magog uh, to gather and to gather them for battle Now, uh, what these three references I've just mentioned in chapter 16, chapter 19, and chapter 20, all make references to what was prophesied in the book of Ezekiel, Uh, particularly there, Gog and Magog. Uh, Gog was a king and Magog was his land. Uh, And there in in Ezekiel is his vision of this, this great battle and here in Revelation, this battle is described Uh, in these three sections. They're the same battle, not three different ones. Now in this view of uh, the thousand years, uh, therefore if if the binding of Satan was a past event uh, that happened at Christ's first coming, his death on the cross and his resurrection, that means that the thousand years described in chapter 20 are symbolically representing the age of the church, the present age, the days between Christ's ascension and his return. And Satan, uh, defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus, is bound but not yet destroyed. He's at work in the world, as we've seen earlier in Revelation. Nonetheless, he has been defeated by Christ. So no, this doesn't mean that Satan can't cause harm because he does. We saw that back in chapter 11, verse 7. We we read of the beast coming out of the bottomless pit, out of the abyss, to attack the witnessing church. Yes, he's active in the world, but ultimately he can't do anything to thwart God's purposes. And during this period, Christians... Uh, those who have come to life, uh, as we read in, in, in verse three, they reign with Christ because Christ hasn't lost control. They're on the winning side. It may look like in this world that Satan is winning. Think what it was like for the early church in, in Jerusalem. Uh, the persecution come, falls upon them and they're kind of driven out of Jerusalem and they're scattered. And it feels like, oh, well, what's going on? What's going on here? Well that the beast and the false prophet were at work. And yet what was God doing? He's in control, and the gospel continues to go out. And think of those early Christians in Rome. there they are being martyred for their faith. They wouldn't bow down to the image, because they knew that they were faithful to Christ and to him alone, and they were being killed. Were they on the losing side? No, look at verse six. No, because even when they were killed for their faith, they have resurrection life. That's the first resurrection. So verse six, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. You see, when we put our trust in Christ Jesus, we experience Jesus' resurrection life. We're made alive in Him, and we're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ in glory. That is the first resurrection. We come to life in Christ, we have His life now. And that means wonderfully, wonderfully, that physical death, the first death, is not something for us to fear because it has no power over us. We're just passing through from this life to the next. And because we're made alive in Christ and we are in him forgiven and sure, then also the second death has no power over us. The second death is the eternal condemnation of those apart from Christ, those who have not trusted in him. The second death has a, because life is at work in us. When we're united with Christ, when we die, well, we stay with him. We don't move. We're in Christ. We're with him uh, in the heavenly realms, waiting for the second resurrection. What is the second resurrection? It is when our, our... our bodies are renewed and we are given our bodily resurrection. And we look forward to that day. So, those caught up in evil, are they losers? Have they lost out? No. No, no. In this cosmic battle, they are victors, not losers. They've overcome. And this is one of the great applications of the book of Revelation. From the beginning to the end, we don't need to be afraid. Jesus has conquered. He's in control. So keep going. Keep pressing on. Don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. You're with and in Christ. And that is the Christian life. We're in the millennium period. Now this is a view on the... Uh, on the handout, it's called amillennialism. I think that's unhelpful. Um, uh, Greg Beale uses the term uh, inaugurated millennium, which isn't much more helpful, but at least it kind of says that, you know, we, we, the end, uh, millennium is something, it's just we're in it, it's happening uh, rather than it not happening. And look, here's the thing, and it's worth saying that if that's a wrong interpretation of the millennium, Well, you still don't need to fear, because Jesus is in control, he will keep his people, and our task remains the same, keep trusting him, pressing on, wait for Jesus, get the gospel out. And one day, a day unknown to us, Satan and evil will be destroyed forever, verse 10 and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So on this great day of judgments, uh, the beast, the false prophet, the dragon, and those who have followed them will be thrown into the lake of fire, not just evil, the source of evil, not just for a time, but for eternity. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. He will return from heaven, and he will bring about this evil. Well, What will that mean, uh, finally? And thirdly, there will be a judgment of the dead, verses 11 to 15. The judgment of the dead. Let me read verse 11. Then I saw uh, a great white throne of him and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So imagine for a moment, will you, this great room of heaven, they're full of these I don't know, angelic beings, they're all there recording Everything everything we de- think and say and do if you've seen bruce almighty you'll you'll know there's a picture in that film of a great filing cabinet that opens you know maybe, maybe that's more helpful for you um, than, than books maybe a, some great database but 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 of course you know please don't think that our technology of our cultural moment is is the one they're using in heaven but the point is is here everything is recorded nothing is missed Uh, This week we uh, had a letter from Ipsos inviting us to take part in some research where all our internet browsing history is tracked. That made me think about that. All the internet users on all our devices, how would that make you feel? Getting that letter. A researcher seeing everything you browse, everything you do. Well, uh, whether we consent or not, God sees all our thoughts, all our desires, all our words, all our deeds. Nothing can be hidden from him. And it's all in this book. And when we stand before God as our judge, this book is going to be opened. I wonder which of us would want that book opened Yeah, when the heavenly Michael Aspel calls your name and says, Dave Barnsley, this is your life. The records of our deeds taken down, read out line by line. And whilst I'm sure there'll be much to celebrate in our books, there will be much that will condemn us. Now, our our hope lies only in another book, a second book, verse 12. Uh, This is the book of life. And this is a book that records names. Names of all those who trust not in themselves, but who have rather trusted uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. And as they've done so, as they've trusted in his death, as as Jesus has uh, paid the penalty for our sin, as he's borne the punishment we deserve, you see the fate isn't the fiery lake because... The fire of judgment as it were it fell on Jesus on the cross for my sin it's already paid the punishment has been born and God is just and he will not judge twice for sin you see being in that second book in that second book means that the contents of the first book won't be counted against you I wonder Uh, on that great day, when as it were, that that great book of life was opened, that the question we must ask today is this, will your name be found in it? Will your name be found in the Lamb's book of life? Can, Can there be anything more pressing in this life than that question? No. No. Is your name there? Well, you might ask, well, how do I know? the question is this have you turned to Christ have you trusted him have you repented of your sin have you done that have you started to follow him as the lord of lord and king of kings of your life because again look verse 15 if anyone's name was not written in the book of life he was thrown into the fire to the lake of fire you see God is determined that nothing will be allowed to destroy his perfect new creation. And all those who refuse to acknowledge Christ's rule will be excluded. And again, feel the importance of that. In the end, we need to keep reminding ourselves uh, that this world will come to judgment. And the question is, do we believe that? See, if it is coming to a judgment, uh, it will lead us to two things, won't it? Firstly, to flee from the wrath to come by taking refuge in Christ. Flee to him. If you've not done that, do that. Because a judgment is coming. But secondly, of course it means that we live in a world under judgment that is coming to judgments. And therefore we need to do two things. Firstly, we need to sit lightly to this world, don't we? Because it is passing. The reality is the one that will be eternal. And as we do that, of course, as we're sitting lightly to the world, we we are to be working for and funding, sharing, that which lasts for eternity. Gospel work. one day, this world, everything in it will disappear in an instant. What matters most is people. Do you believe that? I wonder if you've seen the film uh, Schindler's List. Uh, the German uh, industrialist, Oskar Schindler, has been rescuing Jews from the Nazis. Uh, and he's doing that by bribing them. You know, he bribes them to be able to employ them in his factories and save them. But in the end of the film, when the war is over, it's time for Schindler to leave. And he's surrounded by many of the Jews that he's saved. It's a really moving scene. But as he, as he looks round at those that he's saved, you know, all, as he thinks all that he's achieved through this process, what fills him is not pride, but guilt he realizes that maybe he could have done even more with what he had. He says, I, I could have got more out. I could have got more. If, if I just, I, I don't know, if I, just, if I just got more. Oscar says, one of the men he's rescued, there are 1,200 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I'd made more money, I, I threw away so much money, you have no idea if I just, I didn't do enough, this, this, this car, why did I keep this car? 10 people right there, 10 more I could, I could have got. He, he kind of looks around, This this gold pin, two more people. He could have given me two more for it, at least one. He could have given me one, one more, one more person. A person. See, it's, it's a man who's confronted with the face-to-face that the reality isn't it, that human life is more valuable than wealth. And, and, and Oscar Schindler, he, he, he grasped that, didn't he? How much more for eternal life? How much more for eternal life? We can be so busy, can't we, working uh, for the now, enjoying the now, and there are important things we need to be doing that are good and just and right, but judgment is coming. It is coming upon this world, upon the people around us. Do we value them enough to share the gospel with them, to commit ourselves to praying for them, praying for the, the church to be growing throughout the world, people from every tribe and tongue and nation coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? This world is ending. Judgment will fall. What do we care about? We can be so preoccupied by the things that are passing. Now this this call from Revelation in the light of judgment is keep resisting evil. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. What does the evil one want to say to you? He says, oh they won't want to come to the carol service next week. Why would they bother with that? They'll make you look a fool. No, keep resisting evil. Keep pressing on. If you're a Christian, you're on the winning side. You need not fear judgment, the second death. Why? Because you have the first resurrection. You're raised with him. You've overcome even now, this week. So keep going. God will introduce his new perfect world. A new heavens and a new earth. God will do that. It's where this book has been heading from the start. That is God's plan. Nothing will stop it. Be a part of it and put your hope on it. Because if this is where history is heading, it's what we should be living for. So come back next week and we'll see a glorious vision of that new heaven and new earth. Let me pray.